But, you know, we have to be his favorite pit stop for a podcast. I mean, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but, you know, he, <laughs> I, we really enjoy having him here. So, Brooks, thank you for joining us today, and how's everything going? Maybe maybe like a, a, a top six podcast, um, I, w- I would say. Like, in terms of me coming on. Now, in terms of variance, like how often I'm coming on, yeah, Top Dog's probably in like a, a top three. Um, but, you know, places like ESPN Coastal, down there on second down with Christian Gokel, that's probably my home when it comes to uh, making appearances. But always happy to be on here with you, Harrison. Thank you so much for joining us. And Wyatt, thank you for coming back today for, as our co-host. Uh, Brent could not join us today. I think he had a uh, – he, had, he, I think he said, I, I don't know where exactly he said, and I don't know if he wants me to put that out there, but Brent was busy today. Sadly, we couldn't have him on here. You know, him and him and Brooks worked together at, over at SI Dogs Daily, and it would have been interesting to see him on here on the podcast. Obviously, uh, Brent does join us whenever he can, and he's always uh, brings us valued information in basketball, in Georgia basketball, and he brings his insight on football. And now we have the man, Brooks Austin, over here on the Top Dog Top podcast. So let's go ahead and get it going. Brooks, I want to get your thoughts on signing day. Really, you know, what surprised you, if anything? And, and you know, wh- wh- what what were your takeaways from, from Georgia signing day? You know, I thought I thought they had cooled down the, the rumors and speculation of uh, Dejan Nugget Warren potentially flipping. But um, I wouldn't say I was quite surprised. We knew it was kind of some inklings about it potentially happening. I didn't know if they were going to be able to pull it off, that being Jackson State. Um, I, I think that's where you start in terms of surprise. I think everybody kind of knew Xavier Sawyer is going to be a member of this class. I mean, when you've got your head coach and three of his top assistants making a two-and-a-half-minute or a two-minute video about the barber and Xavier Sawyer's nickname happens to be the barber, um, it kind of tells you where they think they are with that athlete and where they think they are with his recruitment. Um, I, I thought it was interesting to see as close as they were with Mason Smith and Donovan Edwards. Uh, I think in normal years and normal circumstances, those I, I think Georgia doesn't even get into those discussions. I mean, with how, how bad uh, LSU season went, same thing with Michigan, and uh, seemingly those, those programs being uh, in, in some hot waters right now, I was kind of surprised to see in a, in a usual class. I, I would doubt that Georgia's even like on signing day, down to the wire, don't know, coin flip kind of situation um, with those two. And apart from those two storylines, uh, Dejan uh, Warren and the two uh, losses, if you will, um, in terms of uh, top prospects remaining. It was a pretty boring national signing day. I mean, the, everyone that was committed 19 to 20 sent in their uh, letter of, uh, you know, national letter of intent. So this wasn't like last year where Darnell Washington, Cedric Van Pran, and and uh, Keely Ringo were still out there heading into the second window or at least into January. This was. I mean, the class is pretty much done at this point. Now it's all eyes directed on Tyrion Arnold and whether or not they add anybody in the JUCO or from the transfer portal. And, and, you know, you really bring up a really good point. You know, it was boring. It was a very long day. And I think uh, aside from that 9 a.m. stretch until about like 10 a.m., you know, it, it was a very slow day. I mean, we got kicked off around 9 a.m. Everything started going crazy. All these – there was no surprises. And I would really say – you know, we weren't expecting a surprise until maybe the noon, until the afternoon. And even then, it, it wasn't very exciting. And, you know, Cedric Van Pran, like you said, the 2020 signing day was just, uh, you know, very amped up. We knew that Georgia was in on some guys and that there was going to be some people to watch. But, you know, we only got 
one guy to fall our way. I think we went one of three on big targets today, which is not bad at all. I mean, considering we are the number three ranked class, the last time Georgia had a number three ranked class, that class ended up helping them get to the national championship game against Bama in 2017. So, White, I want to welcome you in here. And, White, let's get your thoughts on sign today real quick. And then we'll go back to Brooks to talk about Xavier Story Jr. And really, you know, Brooks, he, he watches a lot of these guys. And I, and I told him, you know, he knows these kids just as good as anyone else. He does it just as good as anyone else in the business, you know, but he doesn't get the recognition these other guys do. So that's why we love having Brooks on here. You know, he's a blue-collar worker. He works hard for these kids, and he really loves these kids. And, and, and the reason why he does it is because he was a player at one time, so he really understands what's going on and knows this process. So, Wyatt, let's get you in here real quick. What are your thoughts on Georgia's signing day overall? I think it was spectacular. I think Kirby did a great job. I think Brooks brought this on his live stream on Wednesday, and I'll address it here too. Um, Kirby did this during COVID. I mean, he got 20 public commitments, and he got them all to sign except one, and then added one at the end. To handle that and talk through a camera and to build a relationship. I mean, he's already had a relationship with them a couple of years. But to make it official and get Brock in this class was a very big mem. Sorry, I keep going. I mean, he built this class, and it's just stacking bricks on bricks. And that's what it comes to my mind. I mean, Kirby's just stacking it. And, um, man, it, it was very impressive. Um, it, you can't really be disappointed the guys you missed. I mean, like Brooke said, we were all in it, and that was really good to be that close. And, I mean, I guess kids really want to stay home, and that's what was said on Wednesday. Um, Donovan Edwards out of Michigan, he wanted to have a 45-minute drive, and that's what Brock did as well. He wanted to go to Georgia, and he went there. Mason Smith went to LSU. So a lot of kids during COVID want to stay home, and that's, I mean, that's really good. I think Kirby did a really good job keeping 11 kids in, in state. As well, he did really good with his class, and I can't be more impressed than he did with this year because he he brought he brought he, he had really good connections with these guys, and he got them to sign. And 16 early releases is big. That's the biggest number out of all these classes before. So, give props to Kirby and his staff. They did a really really good job, and I'm thankful to be a fan of it. And, and you know, one of the questions I have, and Brooks, I'll let you answer this and and speak to this because you know you've talked to these guys probably. Um, you talk to many of them probably once or twice a week, depending on uh, how, how good of a connection you have with these guys. And, you know, one of the questions I have is how big of a change is it for these recruits? And, you know, when it comes down to the last few minutes, the last few days with Mason Smith, Corey Foreman, you know, Terry and Arnold, Donovan Edwards, how big of a change and what really, you know, how big of a difference or impact does it make having the ability to visit Georgia on an official visit and be there with the coaching staff, see the players, see a game, be there post-game, be there pre-game? You know, how much of an impact does that have, you know, that not being there this year have on this recruiting class? I, mean, I, think, it, I think it makes a big impact, especially when you're talking about those out-of-state kids. Um, I mean, how many, going back to like the 2017 uh, signing class, how many of those guys when they made their decision on signing day, mentioned the spring game that previous spring where they sold it out, 93,000 inside Sanford Stadium, and there was this electric environment. You had heard, you heard the same thing in 2020 about the Notre Dame game, how that he that a prospect wanted to go to Georgia because of the experience that they had at the Notre Dame game. These in-home, uh, you know, at-home type of uh, visits are, are beyond uh, intoxicating for these young individuals. And, and when you talk to these prospects more and more, you hear about how the Georgia visit's just different. I don't know what they do. It's just the vibe around Kirby Smart. And especially now, I mean, 
Scott Cochran would have been absolutely insane on these, like in Athens visits, these official visits, he would have been a ball of energy bouncing around all across the room, you know, getting everybody excited about being there. I I think those things, when they're not allowed to happen, um, Georgia did lose a step, Um, but they they focused on what they had um, in terms of relationships with kids prior to all the stuff going down. And to be honest with you, I think I think uh, Wyatt mentioned the number of uh, ten or eleven in-state guys. I mean, Jackson Meeks is from Phoenix City, Alabama. That that that's right on the line. I mean, that might as well be Columbus, Georgia. Uh, Javon Ballard, Georgia kid. Marlon Dean, he's Elbert County. I know he was at IMG Academy, but he's a Georgia kid. Chaz Chambliss, Georgia kid. Kamari Lasseter from Georgia played football out in Tuscaloosa. John Jefferson, Georgia. Lavoisier Carroll from South Georgia. Went down to IMG Academy. Dylan Fairchild, Georgia. David Daniel, Georgia. Nylon Green, Georgia. Micah Morris, Georgia. Smile Mondon, Georgia. Brock Vandergriff, Georgia. Amarius Mims from Georgia. So it was a state-based recruitment process this year for these guys. And, yeah, that might have been due to COVID. Um, Coaches can't get on private jets and go out to Clovis, California and and sit down in the living room of Kendall Milton and Chris Milton and explain to them, uh, how they'll take care of their child. That, that wasn't able to happen this year. So um, you kind of had to rely upon the roots uh, of your recruiting grounds that you've had for day, for years and years at this point, which are those Georgia kids. Kirby's seen all these kids in person at least once before. You know, you bring up the impact that we going into Clovis, California and talking to, you know, Kendall Milton, who really had a really good year this year as a freshman. I, I think, you know, one of the biggest things, you know, those in-home visits, I think that's, I don't know, it's, I, I feel like it's a close and intimate setting. You know, you really start to build a connection with these coaches when they go into your homes, you know, and, and you, you talk to these players and all that, and they talk to the family. I, I think it's, it definitely makes an impact with these players, and I think it really sets the tone for whether or not they're going to commit to your school. So, you know, I, I thought COVID had a big impact not only on college football but the world as a whole, and it's probably going to be like that for a long time. And I think this is going to be a long-lasting impact on college because I think, really, you know, we're going to be behind an eight ball on that 2022 class that's coming up next year, and we're kind of behind the eight ball on this 2021 class. You know, coaches, the last time we saw these 2021 kids, you know, live and got to talk to these kids was – probably, you know, last season, their junior year. So, you know, they're already a little bit behind the eight ball. So I think it's really important. Brian brought up the fact, White brought up the fact that, you know, we could have as much as 16 early enrollees in Georgia this spring. That That's huge. You know, that's, a, that's an early start. They get a head start with, mm. you know, the practice, knowing the playbook, getting to know the system, getting to know their teammates. That's a really big impact. So, you know, let's kick it into hike gear real quick. Brooks, you covered Brock Vandergriff. You've been to a few of his green games. What makes him such a special quarterback? And Wyatt, after Brooks finishes up, I'll let you get your take in on Brock Vandergriff. I think to me it's the the stuff you only find out when you go and actually watch him play a game in person, um, that in-person evaluation. I, I think that's something you're kind of getting to um, there, Harrison, about this 2022 class being behind the eight ball. Th- these guys were playing important junior high school football games this year, and – Coaches weren't able to go visit them in person and watch them on Friday nights. They can only see the tape, um, which is great. I mean, you can kind of figure out what a player is, but you don't know who the player is until you go watch them in person. Um, and to me, being able to do that multiple times this year with Brock, you, you just learn things about what makes the player tick and how they respond to coaching, how they lead their teammates around them, 
how smart they are, um, you know, especially quarterbacks, what, what they're doing pre-snap, how much of the offense are they actually handling and holding, how complicated is the playbook, things like that. You don't figure, you can't figure that out watching tape. All you can see on tape is, oh, well, he makes great throws, which any, any dummy can do. It's the in-person evaluation that's invaluable. And to me, the in-person evaluation points are the things that are most impressive about Brock. And this is a kid that's six foot three, 200, six foot three and a half, almost six, four, 210 pounds and runs a legit four, six. So the measurables in the tape are insane. And then when you compare what you see in person and get to know the kid um, and, and come away more impressed off those things, um, that kind of tells you the, the stuff that I'm seeing cerebral wise. Um, I mean, he, he is his own offensive coordinator as a senior in high school. He, he calls his own plays basically from the line of scrimmage, constantly tuned in, um, knows exactly what's going on, knows, um, you know, when substitutions need to be made and it knows when to call for a new ball, if the ball's wet. I mean, it's just constantly locked in. And uh, it, it, it kind of goes back. I was listening to a Russell Wilson documentary uh, or watching it, and they were talking about how it's all about staying neutral, where you don't want to be too high. You don't want to be too negative all the time. It's about staying neutral at a constant level um, and being neutral throughout a game and throughout um, your career. Brock Vandergriff is neutral mentally wise all the time. And I think it comes from his dad. His dad's very neutral about Brock's performance as well. If you were to ask Greg Vandergriff what he thought about how, uh, you know, Brock plays tonight after the game, he would probably give you the highs and lows. He would tell you where he was great and he would tell you where he needs to improve. That's the same way Brock approaches everything, um, a very neutral mindset and approach. And that's to me what made the comparison very, very easy for me to say, oh, he, he well, He's not Joe Burrow. He's not any of these other guys. To me, he's Andrew Luck. When I when I watched Andrew Luck play football and just how he looked like he was playing a game of chess in his head while he was on the field, that's what Brock does. And there's there's just no emotion um, except for when his team scores and when he's encouraging his teammates. Other than that, it's strictly business and handling the task at hand. Um, and those are the types of quarterbacks that will always succeed uh, in, in, in crucial situations, in pivotal situations, the outside noise. Um, they'll block out pretty easily. And Wyatt, with you, obviously, you know, Brock's going to be coming into a QB room that could or, you know, may not have a JT Daniels in it. So, Wyatt, let's just, you know, let's get your thoughts on that and how much of an impact will, you know, him be able to learn and develop under a guy like Todd Munkin and, and you know, any – and then maybe having the potential um, added assistance of JT Daniels in that, you know, QB room next season. I think that's a great question for both of those guys. If JT does, JT Daniels does stay, I think that helps Brock tremendously because both of them will see, will start seeing them playbook together. Um, and Tom Munkin's first quarterback was Brock Vandegrift, and he brought him in because Tom Munkin was there. Kirby brought him in. That was the first visit. That was with Brock, and Brock committed that I think next week. So they really had a good relationship right off the bat. So that's what sticks out to me with that relationship. So if both of them are in the same um, the same room. I think Carson Beck is also in that room as well. So I, I think that's a really great quarterback room, and I don't think Kirby's had that yet. So that's really important in in my books to have that important quarterback room. When Jake Fromm was there um, by himself with, I mean, there was backup quarterback of course, but like to have another quarterback room like Brock and JT and Carson, I think that's really good for Kirby because he can have a actual quarterback battle. And I think that's really cool to see. I think it's really good for the mercy of Georgia and these bowl practices. If 
if Brock um, loses tonight, I think he'll come in a couple weeks. But I hope he doesn't. I hope he wins, and I hope he wins at state. But um, I think those bowl practices will help Brock tremendously for next year. I think this is their spring practice that they didn't have, and that's why these bowl practices are very important to see what Kirby has going forward next year. Um, so to have this quarterback room, I'm very, very happy to see it. I hope they have a spring game and we can all see them play together. And, man, it will be a fun spring game if we can watch it all together. And, Brooks, let's just get your thought on potential QB competition. Obviously, you uh... – wrote an article about, you know, the reason why JT or just some reasons why, you know, that historically statistics are backing JT Daniels and his ability to leave after this year. You know, what are your thoughts on JT's performance this season? And, you know, what is your outlook on his potential decision coming up this January? I mean, he's played great. It's, it's, it's hard not to say that he's played anything other than great. He's at, I think, 67% completion percentage and averaging – around 325 yards a game and hasn't turned the ball. Or he's got one interception, I think. Um, nine touchdowns and one pick over the last three games. That's He's playing really good football, and he's and he's making really, really good decisions with the ball. Um, so it's, it's hard to knock any any bit of his performance. Uh, the, the, the reason, the purpose behind that article was just that every Georgia fan in there and, and their mom tries to tell me that JT doesn't have a large enough sample size and he needs to come back because of that. Well, and, and history just doesn't show you that. And the history says that the sample size is a season's worth of starts in college football. That's all they need um, to, to make an accurate depiction of you um, in their mind. I mean, Mitch, Mitch Trubisky went, was the first quarterback taken overall in a draft class with Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. And that general manager and that, that drafting staff and that, that upper management staff in Chicago made that decision off of 13 games at North Carolina. I mean, this in one season, JT's got 15 games spread out over three seasons, and he'll have a potential 16th game uh, with the bowl game. So the sample size is just there. It, it is. And, and as far as talent-wise goes, if Mac, if Mac Jones and Kyle Trask are worthy of these first-round conversations that people are having with them, um, I think you'd be silly not to think that if JT Daniels' hat was thrown in that ring that he would be in those discussions as well. I I don't know who can watch Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, and JT Daniels play in games back to back to back and leave saying, oh, well, yeah, Mac Jones and Kyle Trask are, you know, supremely better talent wise than JT Daniels. I think, in fact, it would be the other way around. I think if you're an evaluator, like I, like I consider myself, when I sit down and watch JT Daniels the last three games and when I watch Kyle Trask and Mac Jones, I, I leave far more impressed with what JT brings to the table than even those other two in that discussion. So um, that vaults him into the next level, which is the Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and Zach Williams, or Zach Wilson discussion. And even if he's fifth in that discussion, well, that, that's still going to make him a top 60 pick, a top 45 pick. So, what? Well, yeah, there, there's plenty of reason for him to leave if he wants to leave, not to mention there are ample amount of potential suitors in the NFL as well. There are so many. I think more than ever before, because we've got quarterbacks that are aging out in the NFL, there are so many teams that are ready and willing to draft quarterbacks this year. Um, it's actually unprecedented. So, yeah, there's a lot of names in that quarterback discussion, but he fits right in with just about all of them, and there's a bunch of suitors. So I, I think it is very, very realistic that he leaves, but I think more than likely he probably comes back um, and, you know, 
becomes a first round draft pick next year. Because uh, maybe he does feel like he needs some more seasoning. But I, I think if, the, if you threw the guy's name into the NFL draft, he would be a top 60 pick. I just don't think there's any question about it. And I think really, you know, he's a, he's a steal. If he goes out early, if he goes out this year, he's a steal for anyone, you know, outside of that first round. Even in the first round, he may be a steal. You know, if he, if he drops and if he, even if he gets a day three grade, that is a steal. I mean, he's played well this season. He, he's shown that he's improved. I like his accuracy, like Brooks says, and, and really one of the things that, you know, we're getting away from the recruiting topic um, from a little bit, for a little bit, but, you know, we're just letting it flow. But really, one of the things that Brooks pointed out when he was watching his film earlier this year is his decision-making and sometimes his accuracy and, you know, his technique or mechanics weren't always there and weren't consistent. He's shown to be consistent uh, with his accuracy and his decision-making. He, he's shown much better decision-making. I think the only one flaw that everyone points out on their timeline, on you know, on our timelines on Twitter, is something that Brooks points out, uh, you know, pretty early on in watching JT, is that you know that back foot, it, you know, they point it all the time. Oh, it's an underthrown ball. He was lifting his back foot. You know, it's it's beating a drum. So you know, really, if he comes back, you know, I, I'm really I'm really excited to see what Todd Munkin could do with a full off season of a healthy JT Daniels and White. Let's get your thoughts on this discussion. Yeah, I, I agree with Bruce with, with everything he said. To go on with what he said was, like I said before, JT Daniels is, is a draft pick for anybody. I believe he's a really good quarterback for what he did the last four games. It's really unbelievable. I mean, Mississippi State throwing 400 yards, and then South Carolina, I mean, as to what he was should be doing, and he's doing what um, Tomuk is telling him to do. Then Missouri did the exact same thing with one pick in these last three games. And I couldn't be more impressed with him. And um, a lot of people are saying, like, why didn't he start earlier? That's another situation for a different time. But I'm glad what he did at the end of the season. And after that first game, man, he was like a first-round pick, wasn't he? And going to the Bears. So, I mean, they obviously see it. So, um, someone did. So, I mean, if you went to the Combine, I think you would I, I think you would go to Toto with Mac Jones and Kyle Trask. Because, I mean, it takes one guy to like you and one team to like you, and that's all he needs to do is get that one guy's attention, and he can have a bright future. Yeah, and I think he's really, you know, like you said, he, he he's going to compete at the combine if he wants to go. I, I, I would say right now, like Brooks said, he impresses me more than Kyle Trask and Mac Jones, and, you know, the only reason those guys are in the conversation is because you look at what their offense is doing this year, and that's no disrespect to them, but the fact you look at Mac Jones, you know, he has a lot of weapons around him. I mean, how many NFL ready level receivers does he have around him you know he is a probably the best offensive line in college football right now you know one of the best running backs in college football right now he is stacked florida florida's here's the thing kyle pitts you know that's a that's an nfl level tight end you know i think he's gonna do really well in the uh nfl the only question with him is can he gain separation with nfl linebackers and, you know, the NFL secondary. So, I'm, I'm, you know, other than that, he has some pretty good receivers. But his offense line isn't that, isn't that great, to be honest. But they have played well. So, let's get back into Georgia recruiting. Obviously, you know, Georgia got another, looks like a stud offense line class once again. And, you know, Brooks, you pointed out just, you know, the day of National Signing Day, that night, you pointed out that this offense line has versatility. Last year's offensive line class had versatility. You know, you say that's, you know, Lindbergh, those guys, they're guards and that they're going to be transitioning into guard, and they're most likely going to see reps at guards next season. Where do you see these guys transitioning best for this class? Obviously, you get guys like Amarius Mims, Michael Morris, Jared Wilson, who I spoke to you privately, and you echoed this on your stream. 
you think Jared Wilson could be a day one impact. He could, you know, come in and compete on day one. What do you see in these guys, and what do you see in Jared Wilson specifically that makes you think he can come in and compete right away? So, so with the class as a whole, I see I see Matt Luke's heavy influence. I see a bunch of guys that are not only positionally versatile, um, but they're they're really really athletic. Every single one of them uh, is is a type of athlete um, that 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 they'll be recruiting moving forward. I love Ben Cleveland to death. Love watching him play. I, I can almost re- assure you right now, uh, Matt Luke would probably not have like been really really heavy uh, on the recruitment of Ben Cleveland coming out of high school because it's just not what the, what he does. Um, that that is a Sam Pittman offensive lineman. Xavier Trust is a Sam Pittman offensive lineman. Uh, Owen Condit, Sam Pittman's guy. I mean those those type of six foot seven, three hundred and thirty pound linear movers, guys that can move forward and backwards, and that's about it. That's what they recruit. I, I said in one of my articles prior to National Signing Day, um, Matt Luke's first round draft pick looks a lot more like Laramie Tunsil than it does like Isaiah Wilson at the tackle position, if you follow me. I mean, that that's just kind of his MO as an as a as an offensive line guy. Now as far as Jared Wilson goes, I just see a 345 pound individual who's probably going to play at 330, 335 at the guard position um, and extremely athletic, like really, really athletic, like freaky athletic. Um, and, and that's something you saw Kirby allude to on National Sign Day. There were two players that uh, Kirby Smart mentioned by name, Brock Vandergriff and Jared Wilson. That is not a mistake. Jared Wilson was a guy that they wanted early on in this process. They lost him to a decommitment and they got him back. And I think it's so funny that uh, everybody kind of looks at these ratings and whatnot, and and they don't really look at what really matters. To me, what really matters is if you ask Jared Wilson, say, son, did you ever go to any camps? The first thing he says is, yeah, I went to co- like, I went to programs camps. Like, I went to Georgia's camp. I went to North Carolina's camp. I went to Clemson's camp. Um, I didn't do any of the other like media circuit camps. We didn't. I didn't do any of that stuff. I just went to schools. Well, guess what? He got offers from every single school he attended a camp to. And they were all, he was on their board every single time he left. So the college coaches at programs like Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, South Carolina, and Florida thought Jared Wilson was one of the best offensive linemen in the country. Damn the rating. What does the rating matter? That's what matters to me that Dabo Swinney wanted Jared Wilson, that, Nick, that Kirby Smart wanted Jared Wilson, that Nick Saban wanted Jared Wilson, that Ryan Day wanted Jared Wilson. Not that 24-7 rivals or even SI All-American – wants Jared Wilson. That's not what matters. What matters is the kid's going to be a baller on the college level because that's what the tape says. That's what the profile says. That's what his lineage um, in terms of um, his pedigree with his parents and and how how athletic their background is, that's what it says. And then you pair that with a six foot four, 330 pound kid and you've got a bright future uh, at the offensive line spot. So that's kind of why I'm so heavy on him, man. Like, when I see tape like that and, and the subsequent ratings that came with it, I just scratched my head. And then I talked to the kid, and the, the, the answers were there. I figured out everything I needed to know. Oh, he, he's not a camp guy. Just like Javon Ballard, not a camp guy. Didn't go to camps. But guess what? When I talked to an SEC staffer about Javon Ballard, the very first thing I heard was, oh, he's a tape All-American. He's got some of the best tape in the country. And I just want to throw my hands up and go, well, what what what, what else matters? Like, what the kid does on tape, is, shouldn't that take precedence over everything else? To me, the answer to that question is yes. To other people, probably not. 
So you brought up, a, you know, one of the first points you made was talking about the Sam Pittman type offensive linemen being people like Ben Cleveland, Isaiah Wilson, those big guys, you know, just huge muscle men. You know, they move people off the line. They're hard to move for themselves. You know, defenders have a hard time. What is the difference, you know, for the people that don't really know much about the offensive line and, and the philosophies of Sam Pittman and Coach Matt Luke, what is the difference in their philosophies and what are they looking for um, on the recruiting trail? So as simple as I can put it, one coach in Sam Pittman is a is a downhill inside zone type of football coach. He wants guys to take a step on a 45 degree angle and stay on that 45 degree angle throughout the play. Whereas Matt Luke's history as an as an offensive coordinator, as a head coach, and as an offensive line coach says that, well, he wants to do things like run power, he wants to run counter, he wants to run pin and pull, these types of plays where it's not as get downhill and punch you in the in, in the face as much as it is as it is let's work angles and use our athleticism to get out on the edge or get into a specific or specific matchup that we like which would be like pulling our backside guard and getting him up on a linebacker we like that more than trying to move the de- the down lineman into the linebacker that's what Pittman does they're they're big grunt workers i mean just go back and watch georgia football the last couple of years under Pittman. They were running just straight up inside zone. Big boy ball is what I call it, where they're just saying, hey, go win your one-on-one. Go push that guy off the line of scrimmage three yards. And if you do, we win. If you don't, we lose the line of scrimmage today. Um, that, it's really, really hard to do that in the SEC nowadays. These defense linemen are so big. They're so strong. They're so good that if you're just asking your guys to go out there and block in a straight line all day long, they're going to lose a lot more times than they win, no matter how good they are. Um, I mean, Georgia's had a loaded talent or a talented group at the offensive line for years at this point. It's never been about that. Uh, it's been more about schematics. Now, as far as the difference in what you recruit and how that trickles down into recruiting, I, I think I kind of just laid it out for you. Like Xavier Trust, look at him. He is six foot seven, 315 pounds. So is Amarius Mims. Look at the difference between the two individuals. Okay, that, that, that's the difference. One of them looks like a tight end playing tackle like Broderick Jones, like Amarius Mims. The other one looks like a 1990s match Stinchcomb type of tackle. The, 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 the change is in the body type, not in the measurements. It's about what the kid looks like, not what the kid is height and weight-wise, if that makes sense. That is great, Brooks. I mean, that was – this is my question for you. Do you think Kirby's best hire last year was Matt Luke? Uh, instead of I – mean, I mean, Tom Uncle was pretty big. But the way the way Matt Luke has done two recruiting cycles, and I think he's been more impressive than Tom Munkin. Do you agree with that or no? I mean, he's definitely that you were you, you hire the two for different reasons. I mean, you needed Matt Luke on the trail in terms of his energy and, and what he brings to your recruiting prowess. Um, you needed Munkin for the schematics. So I'll pass on both of those, but I'll take Scott the Scott Cochran hire. I thought that was an immense hire because not only are you – I mean, you just took a stab at your – Nick Saban was very, uh, you know, bugged and rubbed the wrong way by that. When he goes out in the media and makes comments like, you know, I think it's – he didn't go to the media. He talked on the bio, the biography or the uh, documentary they had with him and Nick Saban um, where he was telling Nick Sa- – or Bill Belichick, excuse me. He was telling Bill Belichick how, you know, he thought it was kind of bullcrap that – you know, he allows him and lets these guys leave his program, and then they come back and steal coaches off of his staff. And it's kind of like perturbed in the sense that, hey, I, I gave you this platform to get you that new job. Now don't come back and try to take 
down what I already have. Um, he was very upset about that. And anytime you get Nick Saban upset, I think it's a win, um, at least for content purposes, uh, you know, just for content purposes. But, I mean, the Monk, all three hires were incredible. I thought the best thing about the Luke hire was he did it within 48 hours after the SEC championship game when Sam Pittman, you know, kind of hung him out to dry. Like, right before National Signing Day, I think I think Pittman took that job December 8th or 9th. I think the Sunday after the SEC championship game, he announced that he was taking that job, and National Signing Day was that Wednesday. Um, for him to go out and sign, you know, bring Matt Luke on, and then Monday after bringing him on, he's up in Rome securing the commitment of Tate Ratledge. Um, th- those, that was a pretty daggum important signing um, for, for where that recruitment went in 2020 as a whole, for him to be able to seal Cedric Van Pram, for him to be able to seal Broderick Jones, those were career-defining moves for Kirby at that moment. I mean, that was a critical, critical hire uh, right before National Signing Day, so I'd have to go with that one. Yes, sir. Um, I really like Dylan Fairchild because of the wrestling background. I mean, 38-0 in, in wrestling, I think he might do it again. If I, I think he's going early, though. So Or no, he actually be one of the late. I don't know if that's true. But if he does do wrestling, I think that's really cool. But anyway, the wrestling background is really good. I, I see Dylan playing um, center. That would be a really good position for him. I really like him out of the whole group. But I do like Jared Wilson a lot. But Dylan Fairchild is the guy that sticks out to me. What what do you like about Dylan, Brooks? Um, I, like, I like his ability to finish and understand how to take angles out of out of players. I mean, um, Dylan's, Dylan's got very, very little body fat on him. Um, which is which is optimal, right? I mean, but wh- how much bigger is he going to get when he gets to the gets to the college ranks? He's going to wrestle this year, so um, he is going to lose uh, whatever weight he added. I was talking to him the other day. I think you know his junior tape. Watching him, he's about 285 pounds, and then his senior tape, it's noticeable that he's bigger. He's about 300 pounds. Um, he's got to get back down to under 285 to to compete in the heavyweight this year uh, for his high school over there at West Forsyth and and defend his state championship. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know uh, how much weight he's ultimately going to be. I, I also don't know what position he's going to play in college. And to be quite honest with you, from the conversations I've had with the people in Athens, I don't think they know what position he's going to play in college. I think he might be like, you know, they, they've got one of these in every class, it seems like, every year where they're just going to make him a swing player and he'll play all five and do all five really well. Last year in that 2020 class, it's Austin Blasky. Austin Blaschke's playing all five positions during practice and doing so really, really well. Which one is he going to get playing time at? I don't know. Um, we'll have to see in the future. Fairchild, to me, is the same uh, type of kid, even to the extent that they have similar wrestling backgrounds. Um, I, I think that's what comes with that type of athlete and that type of player. Yeah, I'm really excited to see this class. I think, you know, y'all hit it on the head. Mm-hmm. With this Fairchild, you know, he, he's a guy like Cade Mays who can play all five positions, and I think he's going to excel in college. You know, maybe he won't come in here and start right away. He might not compete right away, but he's, he's going to make an impact, you know, in practice. He's going to be, you know, giving guys trouble in practice. He's really going to be challenging that first or second team unit. So, really excited to see where these guys go. So, Brooks, you know, changing course a little bit, I want to talk about this one position because, you know, real quick, I want to talk about the receivers. Obviously, Georgia brought in a huge receiving class this past season and they brought in a decent sized one the year before. And this year they go, you bring in two quote unquote three-star receivers at the position. What are you seeing from these guys like Jackson Meats and Adoni Mitchell? You know, what, what are you seeing from these guys and are the ratings accurate for what 
247 Sports have given them, or these guys, or these guys just, you know, people who have great tape but just don't go to the camps? I mean, Jackson Meeks is the type of kid that I think if he had sophomore and junior tape and even senior tape, he's been banged up his whole high school career. Um, I mean, he tore his knee up, I think, at the end of his sophomore year and missed most of his junior year, um, or at least wasn't an semblance of himself. And then his senior year, he plays five or six games, lights it on fire, um, and then gets hurt again. So that's the type of kid that's never going to climb up rankings just because they don't see him enough. Uh, but I, I, I don't want to make this about rankings decisions. What I do want to tell you is that they went into the 2021 class knowing that they were going to be limited um, in terms of their ability to sign big name wide receivers because of what they did in 2020. I just think it's really, really interesting that late in the recruitment processes of Deion Colsey and late in the recruitment processes of Jaden Thomas, Georgia was in the mix. They had an opportunity to sign those guys that are considerably higher, quote unquote, rated um, than uh, Jackson Meeks and, and Adonai Mitchell. But yet Georgia and Cortez Hankton and Todd Munkin specifically chose Adonai Mitchell and Jackson Meeks. They, they they wanted those two guys. They they chose those two guys over Deion Colsey and and uh, Jaden Thomas. So that tells you what the staff thinks of these two young men. Uh, and and if that's what they think of it, guess what? They've got more data and they've got more advanced analytics and they've got even more tape than even I'm privy to. And I'm going to choose their decision over mine. Their their analysis and their their criticism of an athlete, I'm taking that over even mine, and I think I'm pretty daggum good at this, but they're better because they get actually paid, and it is their job. Their 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 ability to make a living wage depends on being right in that situation, being right in the decision to take Adonai Mitchell and Jackson Meeks over potentially landing and staying in the mix for Jaden Thomas and Deion Colsey. They backed out of those two and signed these two individuals. That's all you need to know, in my opinion, about what they did in 2021 at the wide receiver position. From, from what I've seen, here's, here's my take on potentially why they were so attracted uh, to Donnie Mitchell and Jackson Meeks. I think it's the speed. I, I think both these guys have, you know, high-class speed. I think they're really fast guys. They're people that can play, you know, anywhere. You can line them up in the slot. You can line them up on the outside. I, I think they bring versatility, which is, I think is a growing theme in this Georgia offense. They want versatile guys who can play more than just one position. If you're a running back, you better be able to either help out and pass pro, or you better be able to get out in space and go catch a football. You know, you aren't going to be one-dimensional and just run a football. You have to be able to do multiple things. We see it with the offensive line. Bring in people like Austin Blasky, you know, Dylan Fairchild, Cade Mays. They want them to do multiple things than just one thing. You know, you got to be specialized. You can't be specialized in one thing. You have to be able to do it all. And, you know, I think that's that's a growing theme at receiver. I think they want guys that can come in and, you know, they may not contribute right away, but they have to be able to contribute in practice. They got to be able to go and fill holes. I think that I'm, I'm going to call this class. It's not the typical filler class, but it's filling holes. And that's what they did. So to wrap it up, we got two more things I want to get to. Wyatt, we'll start with you first. Wyatt. Who are you most excited for, and who do you think makes the impact in this class first? And then Brooks will come to you. Great question. I was just about to ask that question. Um, that you want on offense or defense? Or special uh, you defense? one one and one. Okay, on offense, I I, I believe it would be Jared Wilson, as Brooks said. Um, just to, that just the way that Kirby mentioned his name on. Um, on Wednesday on National Signing Day, I, I believe they have really high expectations for him. I, I I see him playing before anyone. On defense, 
I believe it would be a corner, but I don't know who it would be. I think Nylon Green will be this will be will be in the mix and in, in that back end um, by the middle of the season next year. Um, I think Mon- Mondin will be a special teams player. I I, can, I see him playing on the field. But those are my three guys that I see that from this freshman class that that's coming out. I see them playing um, sometime next year. Now, now, before, now, granted, now granted, Kirby uses every, almost every freshman. I mean, if you don't notice that, Kirby plays freshman. So I do believe they will play a lot. But those are the three people that I see them first coming off the bench and playing. Now, before, Brooks, you give out your players, I just want to bring up the fact that you mentioned this on stream, your track record with these picks. You picked Jermaine Burton. You talked about him before anyone else did. So, you know, give me give me a little rundown. And, you know, let, let's talk about the people you picked last year and the year before. Um who are you, you know? Who you thought were going to have a big impact this year? And, and let's talk about your track record so far, because I think you're undefeated um, so far yeah. with this with these picks. So let's go over that real quick, and then let's get your guys. I I am undefeated so far. Um, four guys over two years and two recruiting cycles. But to be honest with you, um, the last two years the the takes haven't really been that hot. If you know what I mean, they've been dead on. In 2019, it was George Pickens, which everybody knew. Again, that's not a hot take. Everybody knew he was going to be great. Um, it's just a matter about keeping him out of trouble. The other one was Tyreek Stevenson. I think I don't think anybody really expected him to be what he was as a freshman. So you can give me that one. Uh, give me some credit. In 2020, it was Jermaine Burton and Jalen Carter. Again, I, I paired Carter and Pickens together in the sense that those weren't hot takes. Everybody knew those players would be really good. Jermaine Burton, nobody was saying he was going to come out and catch you know 700 yards worth of balls this year. And had they played a, a full 13-game slate, he would have easily done that. So you can give me credit for that one. So at this point, I would say I'm – two for two over the last two years in terms of digging diamonds in the rough uh, and finding them. Now, this year, I'm really extending uh, out, going out on a limb uh, and trusting my scouting abilities in, in, in the sense that saying Jared Wilson will probably play, in my opinion, and fight for playing time before a guy like Micah Morris, who everyone considers to be a much more premier prospect and athlete. So that's one on the offensive side of the ball. And then defensively, uh, it's Jamon Dumas Johnson. I think Xavier Soar and Smile Mondon will be playing special teams while JDJ is fighting for ones and twos reps over there at the linebacker position. I think he's that special and that ready to play uh, in this uh, Kirby Smart odd front, you know, mint defense that they run, this 4-2-5 hybrid uh, with an odd front hybrid that they run. This is what this kid's been playing up in Maryland in really, really good competition. Sorry, you know, before he went to IMG and got hurt, he was playing at a level of competition in Florida that was less than impressive. Smile Mondon was playing out in Palm County. Um, it, it wasn't exactly like 7-8 football in North Gwinnett. So it was a little bit different. Um, both those kids, they've, their ceilings are much higher than JDJ's, but the floor right now is what matters when we're talking about instant impacts and guys that are going to play early. And there is no higher floor when, when it comes to those three linebackers right now than JDJ. Um, now, again, his ceiling's not as high as these other guys, but you could have said the same thing about Monty Rice in 2017 when he signed, and look how that turned out. I mean, right on the money there, and I think I just want to give you credit for that Tyreek Stevenson pick. You know, that that is a guy, in my opinion, I, I can't remember what his star rating was, but I, I think even if it was a four-star or a five-star, he was underrated. He wasn't much talked about. I mean, who else was in that cornerback class? I mean, I know we had some pretty pretty talented guys just knowing what Kirby's been recruiting at that defensive back position, but he has come in here and he's made an impact. He's versatile, once again. You know, they're going to be tired of me saying it. Georgia's looking for versatility, you know, in these skill positions. I think they're doing a good job of it. And Brooks, you know, we had it here first with Brooks. He said Jared Wilson. He said Jamon Dumas Johnson. I think Xavier uh, Xavier Sori Jr., 
Just have you seen? I, I saw a highlight tape of him playing basketball. All I saw was him just jumping and dunking. I mean, he is athletic. I'm really yeah. excited to see him play. I, I, I'm really excited about him. You know, Munden. I, I can't wait for David Daniel. I feel like people are counting out David Daniel a little bit. Um, you know, he was the lead dog, one of the first commitments in this class. I'm excited to see where he plays. And real quick, where do you see David Daniel fitting in? Is he a safety or is he a corner? No, nah, he's JRE. That's who he is. He's he's a safety, 100%. There, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I think you would be doing him a disservice to roll him down and play corner. He's, you know, he's a six foot three kind of kid, but doesn't have the fluidity that a, a six foot three kid like Nylon Green has. They're two totally different six foot three, 190 pound kids. David's uh, a much more downhill and linear type of football player, a straight line type of dude with, you know, above average hips, but not like oily hips like you see with Nylon um, and, and not as much ball skills either. But I mean, he, he can track it and he can hit some folks. So um I also think David's probably a special teamer early on um, in, in his freshman year, and then we'll see what happens um, at, at, at the safety position moving forward because uh, I loved what Major Burns put on tape, uh, you know, even in his limited playing time this year, but especially what he did in high school. And I do eventually think that Tyreek Stevenson makes the move back to safety. Just the way that they're putting weight on that kid and the, and the, big, and the bigger and bigger he gets – um, I think they've molded him to take over for Richard account when, uh, you know, he's ultimately not there next year. So I think that's what you're looking at. You're looking at Tyreek Stevenson at uh, safety, Lewis seen at safety and rotating Chris Smith, maybe a star, those kind of things. Um, and, and kind of playing in the back end with that. And then unleashing your young corners next year is going to be about unleashing those young corners. If Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell, um, either if they both leave or even if just one of them leaves. Next year is going to be about young corner play uh, for Georgia. Why I'm going to let you wrap it up. Any last questions for Brooks before we move on to our last segment? No, I think we covered it all, but I'll ask – actually, I'll ask one more. What do you think of LaVisia Carroll out of um, IMG? Um, he's got a lot of speed. Um, I know you talked about him with James Cook, um, that one cut that he needs to work on. But do you see him be involved in special teams next year, or is that how he's going to go on the field first, or do you actually see him totting the rock next next year? For I, I think I think that whole entire fascination with Georgia staff about Lavoisier is just how fast he is. Um, they they truly believe he's one of the fastest backs in high school football right now, and they're betting on that. They're betting on the ability that Todd Monk is going to be able to make that kid explosive when he gets to college. And again, man, that that's who they chose. I mean, let's be honest. They gave that kid the green light at the running back position before everyone else. It probably hurt them in the Donovan Edwards run. If, if Georgia doesn't have a, a running back commit and Donovan was the sole intentions of them going after, um, you probably land Donovan Edwards, I think. So they they, they chose Lavoisier Carroll for a reason. I'm not as high on him as obviously they are, um, but what do I know? Well, you do know a lot for being in the media, so I'll give you that. I mean, you definitely have the knowledge to be a coach if you wanted to. So um, <laughs> let's let's wrap it up here. Uh, you know, why it came to me today and said, you know, it's, it's championship weekend. You know, we, we would be messed up if we didn't do some little hot takes, little hot predictions. Uh, Brooks, I'm going to let Wyatt go first so you get um, – I know this is on short notice for you, so I'm going to let you think for a little minute. Wyatt, I'm about what you 30. got this week? Say what? I said Bama by 30. Okay. <laughs> I agree with that one. Um, Oklahoma, I think, wins. Um, Notre Dame Clemson's really toss-up. I don't even think we should do Bama and Florida. But I think Clemson tops it because of Trevor Lawrence. 
Um, I see a lot of Peyton Manning and Trevor Lawrence. Um, so, yeah, Clemson, Clemson wins in the rematch, but I think it's very close, and I think that would be the best game of the day, in my opinion. And Oklahoma wins big. Uh, very closely, though, actually, and I think Alabama by 14. Ooh. I, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb here. I'm going to go with a little upset. Um, I think people are underrating Notre Dame here in the ACC. I think, you know, what they've done on their schedule in the ACC, moving from an independent to the ACC conference, and really, you know, they've had an undefeated regular season. I think their defense is a lot better than people give them credit. You look at what UNC did in Miami last week. You know, UNC was built on the ground game, and they, they ran all over Miami, and it was really uh, – that, that type of defensive performance from Miami was one of the reasons why Manny Diaz was let go by Mac Brown of Texas. Uh, so, you know, a lot of things to fix there for Miami. But I, I say Notre Dame upsets Clemson, keeps them out of the playoffs. I'm going Notre Dame by three points. Yeah, that 12-7 that to 7 win over Louisville at home for Notre Dame was really, really impressive there, Harrison. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I think Clemson boat races – not boat races. I think they handle Notre Dame pretty well. Um, Notre Dame had them at home with, you know, some fans in attendance because they stormed the field. Uh you know, playing up there in Notre Dame on the road is pretty tough, uh, even for a Georgia program back in 2017 that fought for national title. They went down to the wire there at Notre Dame against a Notre Dame team that I think finished uh, with two or three losses that year. So I'm taking Clemson in that matchup. Ohio State's going to beat the dog doo-doo out of Northwestern. <laughs> uh, so I'll take Ohio State there. I'll take Alabama. Whatever the line is, they'll cover, I promise. Um, they're the only team in that matchup that's got a defense, and that kind of matters every once in a while. Uh, and, and I'm interested to see what they do with Sertan and, and whether or not they leave him on the outside. I, I want to see somebody say, okay, Kyle Pitts, every time you're out here, we're going to give you our best corner. Because that's what's going to happen, that's what's gonna happen in the NFL. So I want to I see somebody do it, um, and, and maybe, maybe uh, Alabama's the one to do it. But um, Oklahoma probably wins two out there in the Big 12, but – who really cares? The only ones we're watching this weekend are the SEC, the Big Ten, and the ACC. All the rest of them are, you know, whatever. Bottom feeders, bottom dwellers. And, and real quick, Brooks, you're, you, you know, you're, you're really good at evaluating talent. We've seen it with this recruiting class. We saw it last year and the year before. I want to get your take on the Heisman real quick, and we'll, we'll come to you in a minute. You know, right now it's looking like the winner of uh, Alabama-Florida, that quarterback's going to get the Heisman. Who really is the most valuable player in college football this year? It's definitely ain't no quarterback. I, my, my take is Devontae Smith. Brooks, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's the easy – it's getting easier and easier to make that take. Um, but, I mean, most valuable, we saw what kind of happened to uh, Clemson whenever Trevor Lawrence wasn't on the field. They struggled with the Boston College team. They got beat by Notre Dame. If, if Clemson comes out in the ACC championship game, and beats Notre Dame by two or three touchdowns with Trevor Lawrence at the helm, how can you sit here and have a reasonable argument that he's not the most valuable player in college football? Um, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to be able to make that. Now, it, 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 it's all like, what? what is the Heisman? Is it the most valuable player? Is it the best player? Is it the player who put up the best stats? What is it? We don't have a clear definition of it. I'll tell you what it is. For the last 20 years, it's been a quarterback's award. In the last 20 years of the Heisman Trophy, there have been three running backs to win the award. One of them was Reggie Bush. One of them was Hunter, uh, uh, Mark Ingram. And the other one was Mark Henry. It's gone to 17 quarterbacks over the last 20 years. So it's a quarterback's award. And at that point, 
Kyle Trask lost lost it last week. Mac Jones wins Saturday. He's probably got a good chance to win the Heisman. And Trevor Lawrence will be there as well. So, I don't know. Who's the best player in college football? Trevor Lawrence. Who's the most valuable player in college football? Trevor Lawrence. Who's had the best season? Devontae Smith or Kyle Pitts. One of those two. Uh, So, however you define the award depends or, you know, affects how you go about voting for the award. Um, in my opinion, we don't have a clear definition of this award. Um, so until we have a clear definition, you're going to have opinions that vary. And more times than not, it's just going to go to the quarterback on the most winning team. And, and really, my question is, you know, who, who's who's looking at the tape? These voters, you know, all these Heisman voters, are they looking at the tape week in, week out and saying, no, no. exactly. No. Like, no, there it is. That's the flaw. You put a guy like Brooks in there. He will give you his, you know, <laughs> whatever you want to call the Heisman Trophy right now. It looks like the Maxwell Jr., so, Wyatt, I'm coming over to you. Who do you got this week? You said Devontae Smith, you know, obviously talented as all get out. He's going to be a first-round no, pick. most valuable. Who most wins valuable. The Heisman? Who wins the Heisman? I think – I want to say Mac Jones. I don't, I don't think he can win. If Matt, if, I'm telling you right now, if Mac Jones wins by two or three touchdowns Saturday, he's going to win the Heisman. Mm-hmm. I want Trevor or, Lawrence or, to win. Or, or, they give, or, or they do that. If Trevor Lawrence wins, they give him a, almost a career achievement award and say, here's your Heisman, Trevor. You haven't won one yet. You've been one of the best college How many college games has Trevor Lawrence ever. won? I mean, as in like 30 and something like that? And he's at like 37 and 1 or something like that? Yeah, only I mean, one loss. Why not send him a number one draft pick and have him, have him win the Heisman? I know they don't look at that. I know Tim Tebow doesn't look at that. But, I mean, it's – I mean – Zach Wilson's really good. They don't look at him, do they? No. I mean, I'm, I don't know. It, it's like a it's like a popular vote thing. It, it was Kyle Trask at one time, and then it's Mac Jones, Devontae Smith. But I think he earns it on Saturday. If Trevor Lawrence does really well, it's Trevor Lawrence. I, I do want him to win it. As Brooks said, he made a good point about it. I do agree. All Brooks, right, I want to thank you for coming on today. Obviously, it's always special to have you. Really good episode. Brooks, what do you got going on on SI Dogs Daily? What do you got going on at GrindTheTape.com? So, at this point, I think we're kind of directing our attention to uh, the, the remainder of the recruiting cycle, uh, covering all these kids as best we can before they get on campus, um, and then kind of directing our attention to 2021. I mean, that's what it is. Georgia's roster is moving more towards 2021, as we saw at the opt-outs today, um, yes. and, and everything's moving towards 2021. So, we will, too, with our coverage. Um, you can check me out on Twitter at Brooks Austin SI, but I appreciate you guys. I'm going to head out. Yes, sir. That was episode 20 of the Top Dog Talk podcast. We had our live stream go down pretty early on in the show. Sorry about that. We will try and get that running next time. Thank you for joining us here on Top Dog Talk podcast. I'm Harrison Reno. That was Brooks Austin. Yes, that was Wyatt Felden. See you next week for episode 21 of the Top Dog Talk.